title of this sermon is Psalm 2, A Crisis in the Making. Uh, <clears throat> this week's Parsha is Chulak, which means ordinances. And it has to do, as we mentioned before, from Numbers 19.1 through 22.1. Can we learn something of the prophecy that takes place in Scripture. For we know that God deals with the present and the future. Can we learn something also that we would be studying later from Psalm 2? I'd like to share a little story with you. If Hashem is concerned with our past or future, he is concerned with our past and future. Medical profession professionals is concerned with our past to improve our future. As a young man, I was pondering my future. And basically, I had four goals. If there is a God, I wanted to know him. I wanted to have a perfect wife that would help me in my life and be my best friend, Sandy. I wanted children that we can have a close-knitted family. And uh, most of you know I have two daughters and everyone lives around three blocks from each other. So that's kind of close-knit. And then my fourth one was I wanted to be able to play music in a band. And do you know that the Lord has fulfilled each one of those? He was he is concerned with my future. Was I interested in fame or fortune? No, I really didn't care about that. Didn't have any concern for that. All I wanted was a closeness with my family. God was con concerned with my future. Past is past, he told me. It can never be changed. Future is future and all can be changed if you decide to change it. Hashem directed my future to make my past enjoyable, and he has. Amen. As I researched this and as I looked into this, <clears throat> I was led to go to numbers as we looked at the Parsha earlier. And Winfrey, you did a great job. Thank you, because it was a perfect lead-in to you know, scriptures have not only present prophecy, but they also have future prophecies to them. So there's like a dual purpose for them. And that's what, <clears throat> excuse me, that's what Psalm 2 has. But before we get there, I'd like to read Numbers 21, 5 through 9. Oh, I'm in Leviticus. Oh, oh. Hey, hey. Okay. The people spoke against Moses and God, oh, God and Moses. Why have you brought us from Egypt to die in the wilderness? Because there's no bread, there's no water, and our very spirits detest this despicable food. 
Oy vey. So Adonai sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel, children of Israel, died. Then the people came to Moses and said, We sinned, and we spoke against Adonai and you. Pray to Adonai for us, that he may take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. And Adonai said to Moses, make for yourself or make yourself a fiery snake and put it on a pole. Whenever anyone who has been bitten will look at it, he will live. Here we have a crisis in the making. B'nai Israel complained of a dreadful situation following Hashem. They didn't like the position they were in. We are going to die in this wilderness because we have no bread and no water. And this despicable uh, food named manna is actually angel food. Now, this is after chapter 20, where Moses is supposed to speak to the rock and is instructed by God. But instead, he hits the rock twice, creating a situation where Moses because of not following God, is in a crisis situation, and he cannot enter Canaan. Adonai 21 sends poisonous snakes among the people, and people begin to die. This is another crisis. Then the people came to Moses, confessing their sin and speaking against against him and Adonai. Please pray that he may take away the snakes which Adonai does. But there is a stipulation. Adonai tells Moses in order for the people to survive this ordeal, he tells him to make a model of a fiery snake and place it on a pole. Looks like idol worship to me. And when anyone who is bit looks and wants to be healed, they have to look at this snake on a pole. And so it was I got to tell you that <clears throat> they had to look and worship. Another crisis. You have no other God before me. But let's really look at this a little bit deeper. As Winfield had mentioned, the red heifer and then the claim in Paul mentioned in the, in the, uh, or the writer of Hebrews mentioned. Let's turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. And you probably all remember this, and it's a very famous quote. But let's take a look at it. <clears throat> we have here, excuse me one second. We have here the story of Nicodemus, who was a rabbi, a leader. And he approaches Yeshua at night saying, we rabbis know that you're a teacher sent by God. For no one can do what you do except God is with them. You know what's interesting? Never, <clears throat> Nicodemus never gets to answer, ask a question. Yeshua answers and said, amen and amen. You're right, Nicodemus. 
But I tell you, unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Did Nicodemus ask this question? No, never did. Yeshua recognized that Nicodemus was seeking and needed to be born again. And so he went right to the center of his heart. Was Nicodemus asking about the kingdom of God? No, he wasn't. Then Yeshua gives him a spiritual lesson. He said, Nicodemus, what is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Did he ask about this? No, he didn't. You see, two aspects of life, physical and spiritual, and we all choose which way we would follow. But Yeshua said, do not be surprised that I said to you, you must be born again. In other words, does this shock you, Nicodemus? You being a teacher and yet you not, not understand? You do not receive our testimony of signs and wonders. Now Yeshua says, Nicodemus, I am the son of man sent down from heaven. In verse 13. And this was what Nicodemus wanted to know if he was the Messiah. But he never got the chance to ask that question. Yeshua proceeds to tie his descension sent to earth to Numbers 21.8, knowing that Nicodemus should know the account in the wilderness experience and say. So let's read. I will pick it up in uh, John 3. In verse 12, I'll pick it up. <clears throat> If you do not believe the earthly things I told you, Nicodemus, how will you believe when I tell you heavenly things? No one has gone up into heaven except the one who came down, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. You see, Nicodemus should have, understand, should have understood that Parsha. And Yeshua understood that he should have understood that Parsha and reverts back to Numbers 21.8 to show Nicodemus that he is truly the one that they were going to look to. Nicodemus should have known by Isaiah 53 and from Psalms 22, which indicated the Messiah's suffering and what he was going through while here upon earth. Then in verse 16, which is what we know we all are familiar with through 20, I will read again. And he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whomsoever believes in him should not perish, but have life eternal. And then he goes on to say, God did not send the Son of Man into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Exactly what was happening in the desert experience. The one who believes in him is not condemning, but whosoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not put his trust in the name of the one and only Ben Elohim. Now this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. 
And that's exactly where we are today. We have a reference in Psalm 2 of future events, which I believe are future events that took, took place during David's time and now our present time. You know, we hear a lot of talk, are these the end times, are these the end days? Well, <clears throat> if you recall somewhere in Scripture where it says, as the days were in Noah's times, so will the end days be. And so what were they in Noah's times? You go back and you find that everybody was partying and having their own way. And as they seen Noah building an ark, they ridiculed him and told him that he was out of his mind. That's what was taking place. They rejected Noah's preaching because he was a preacher. Even Hashem was watching every single thing they did. Is it similar today? You know, <clears throat> Nicodemus, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Nicodemus had to learn a hard lesson, and it was difficult for him. He had to realize that who was standing before him when he approached him, he thought he was just approaching another rabbi, but who stood before him was the true history of the Jewish people, of humanity, Yeshua HaMashiach. You see, we see from this example of prophecy that prophecy can have dual references. It can be a revelation of past, and it can be a revelation of the future. And it can be applied at different times. What I'm sharing with you is not my own research, but research that I received, um, a talk that I listened to in a Tacoon conference uh, last month when Mike Bickles spoke to the group. And I'm using a lot of his information, so I can't take credit for this, but it did stir something in me about our times. Because we do see uh, things around us that are happening very, very rapidly. And some of us get so confused, I know I do, and get so confused and concerned particularly with our young people and our families and our friends. So it was, needless to say, disturbing and encouraging to me at the, at the same time. So let's turn to Psalm 2. Here we go. Can Psalm 2 be referring to our time? There are many indications that we are in the last days with the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel, 1948, and the occupation of Jerusalem in 1967. So let's proceed and take a look at Psalm 2, which I believe have, has, they do have four parts that I'd like to reference this morning. Number one, well, let's read uh, Psalm 2, 1 through 3. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples mutter vanity? 
Kings of the earth set themselves up, and rulers conspired together against Adonai and against his anointed ones. Let's rip their chains apart and throw their ropes off of us. Here, we have kings and rulers conspiring, worldly kings and rulers conspiring against Messiah Yeshua and against his call here upon earth. We can see as we look in society, things are happening so quickly between nations that are taking place. When we look at the news, we see nations rising up, truly conspiring and going after believers, assassinating and killing believers. In many, many nations, we see nations rising up against nations. So we know something is stirring as God had promised. We also know from scriptures that there'll be a falling away from the faith before that great day. When you research and you look at these scriptures and you see when God speaks about that great day, the last days, there's only one generation that's going to see those last days. And those are, that's the generation that's going to be involved not only through the time that God shows rumors of wars and things going on, but also to the end of the tribulation period when the nations have to cry unto him, help us and come save us. Here we find that kings and rulers in opposition to seeking to remove God's Bible from influence in society. Do we have that going on today? Yes, we do. And they say, let's rip the chains apart. They perceive that the word of God is hindering human potential by its restrictions on purity, salvation, love, and justice. Purity meaning holiness. Salvation, Yeshua being the only salvation. Love, each person should be able to express love as they seem fit with whomever. And justice, societies are linked together by a common thread called socialism. Our times are changing, people, and I believe the scriptures are referring to these times. They see God's word as ropes tying them up in the things that they, against the things that they really want to do, express fleshly desires. In Romans 1, 1 to 32, I'm going to paraphrase, states, even though they knew God, they did not glorify him. Instead, their thinking became futile and their senseless hearts became dark. They changed the glory of God into mortal man, creating their own gods. Therefore, God gave them over in evil desires and they traded the truth for a lie and worshiped the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to shameful desires. Men and women exchanged their natural passions for each other, burning with unnatural passions for each. Men with men and women with women. Is this happening? Is it happening? Yeah, I know you can't speak out about it. I know what the restrictions are. 
But we cannot be blind and we cannot close our eyes. This is happening. Just as they did not see fit to recognize God, they became depraved, filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greedy, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, etc., 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 haters of God. My people, that's a description of where we are today. Yeshua said men's love, <clears throat> men love darkness more than the light. They want God's standard to disappear. And they do not want any mention of God in public places. They want to wipe away any reference of God away from society. And they shall say freedom at last when they've accomplished their goal. And then certain destruction is soon to follow. In the second part of Psalm 2, verses 4 through 6, it says, He who sits in heaven laughs. Adonai mocks them. So he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. I have set my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. We see now here, <clears throat> excuse me, Father's response to this ridiculous statement that was in the first three verses of this. He speaks to them in his wrath and he says, you may think that your plans will, will take effect, but I am telling you that they will not. Because I have declared that Yeshua will be the king of kings and he will rule the nations from Jerusalem when I send him once again to return. You see, Yeshua was enthroned in heaven at the resurrection. He was enthroned. He sat at the right hand of God. But he will be enthroned in Jerusalem when he returns to his rightful place as king of kings, lord of lords. He will, re, re, uh, he will re, rule the nations, right, with a steel scepter. The Father's message here includes demonstrating Yeshua's power and distressing the kings and the rulers of society who settle in their rage against Yeshua and his truth. For Yeshua takes his throne as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I have Haggai stated here and 2 and verse 6. It says, Haggai says, For thus saith Adonai, Zevarot, Just in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea in dry land, and I will shake all nations. The treasures of all the nations will come, and I will fill the glory, his house in Jerusalem, when Messiah Yeshua comes. He's going to shake the nations, folks, and most nations don't understand why? Why? They think their own will and their own decrees. And they, they think that their own thinking, their plans are going to survive. They're not. Third portion of this is Psalm 2, 7 through 9. And it's Yeshua's response. And it's real interesting. And Yeshua declares, verse 7, 
I will declare the decree of Adonai, because he always did the will of the Father, right? And he said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, and the far reaches of the earth as your possessions. And you shall break the nations with an iron scepter, and you shall dash them in pieces like a potter's jaw. We see here that Yeshua is going to follow the Lord's, the Father's response to these nations. And he asked, ask the nations, ask me for the nations. Even Yeshua had to ask for, for a prayer. Even Yeshua had to pray to the Father. Ask of me for the nations. Intercede for the nations is what he's trying to say here. But you know what? There's a time that there will not be any more intercession by him. Yeshua is represented here as, as having an attitude of strength toward the proud and the rebellious. But we know he is gentle toward the repentant and the humble. It is and worthy of our praise and of our life. And now we go to Psalm 2 again, and we start the last portion, verses 10 through 12. So now, this is David, exhortation. So we have, <clears throat> excuse me. So we have kings and rulers, one through three. We have Yeshua's response. We have the Father's response, excuse me. And then we have Yeshua's response. And now David's response is here. Now you kings and rulers, be wise and take warning, O judges of the earth. Serve Adonai with fear and rejoice with trembling. You better kiss the son lest he becomes angry and you perish along your way. Since his wrath may flare up suddenly, happy is everyone taking refuge in him. David exhorts these leaders to make a turnaround and do not go forward with their plans. He asks them to seek the Lord in fear and reverence. And he is speaking of God's message and encouragement to engage in Yeshua with prayer and intercession. He says, show respect for Adonai's anointed before he becomes angry with you and serve him with gladness. In the book of Philippians, it says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Yeshua as Lord. They will either bow because in adoration or they will bow in fear of what is going to take place. You see, I believe Psalm 2 is a prophetic prophecy written for our time as well as King David's time. And if it is, is it a warning to us to recognize the worldly events taking place? And if so, what shall we do? And I'm going to close here in Luke 21. Luke 21, verse 25. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth 
Nations will be confused by the roaring of the sea and its waves. People will lose heart from fear and anticipation of what is overtaking the earth. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. And when they see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to happen, and stand straight and lift up your heads, because your salvation is near. <clears throat> and I'd like to move down to verse 34. And this is for us. But watch out, <clears throat> so your hearts are not weighed down by carousing, being involved with the world. And strong drink, or drugs, or sex, or pornography, or anything the world has to offer, don't be involved in it. And the worries of life, as the children were in the wilderness, are you going to continue to grumble about the manna, about water, about food? that you feel that you may die in the wilderness. Do not let that day, the day, the last day, come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come rushing upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. But stay alert at all times, praying, interceding, witnessing, and speaking that you may have the strength to accept, escape all these things which are about to happen and stand before the Son of Man and come alongside him and let him rule your life. You see, prophecy is very interesting <clears throat> when you let it speak to you. And prophecy is, as Shaul says, you know, we manifest the Spirit of God in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. And he talks about prophecy, and he talks about other things in there, of course. But in 14, it says, and prophecy is for those who are educated in what God is trying to do. And that's why I think this prophecy is important. We look around the world, we can get discouraged because we do not see we see so many things changing. So many things changing rapidly. Our country is turning away from Yeshua and God we trust. Right? And they're heading down this path, which is very dangerous. We, as believers, need to be able to pray and speak up. And let our voice be heard. As Psalm 2 says, God is angry with the nations. And he will set Yeshua on his holy mountain. So please, people, exhort him and come alongside him and let him save you, as for he is the savior of the world. Shabbat shalom.